I listen to the diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro-adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to the Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. All right. Ashley, you just got back from vacation. How are you doing? Where'd you go? Fill us in. (laughs) Yeah, I did just get back from vacation, so I'm feeling great. It's the first day back. What did you do? I went to Europe for about two weeks. It's a trip that my partner and I had been hoping to do, like, back before the pandemic hit. Yeah, it was like the pandemic, and then I went to grad school. So finally getting over there felt like a long time coming. It was a hut trip. So my sister-in-law lives in Germany, and her partner is from Austria, So we met them in Austria in his hometown and we started, you know, from his hometown on a bus up to a trail and hiked for like four or five days and dipped into Switzerland and Italy. And yeah, I think when we started, we thought we were going to do about five or six miles a day. And it turned out that we were doing more like 10 a day. And of course, these huts are all positioned right on the top of a pass, pretty much with these incredible views. But it's a lot of work to get up there. And then the next day, you wake up in this beautiful alpine environment. But then we hike down to the valley and then up another pass for the next night. So, yeah, we were logging some pretty good miles and pretty good elevation (laughs) every day. And what a cool way to spend a vacation. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. You know, it's funny. I feel like there's a point not so long ago in the distance past where, like, big culture, like, broader culture if you were to be like at you know at a friend's barbecue sharing that story people would be like why would you do that on vacation <laughs> right like it's like not that long ago that would have almost seemed sort of weird and i feel like it, it's it's changed right i think our culture kind of understands how cool and how regenerative a trip like that can be mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah we had exercise exposure to culture and a lot of family time Yeah, that sounds perfect. It's interesting. I used to get asked this question quite a bit around 15 years ago. I used to, you know, like a lot of times like a journalist would call me up to be an expert on the outdoors or on climbing or adventure or something like that, or they'd be doing a a story on the show. And I would always get asked why, like, why do people climb or backpack or backcountry ski or ultra run or do any of these activities that a lot of us love, organize our lives around. And I remember when I'd get asked it, I at first I was just like, duh. You know, it seems self like totally <laughs> self-explanatory to me because I was just like, this is great, right? And it seemed almost akin to a getting asked, like, why do people like music? Or <laughs> why do people make art? And you're just like, because they do, because yeah. it's fun or it's cool and it's worthwhile. And so at some point I realized I needed I needed to put some thought into the answer around that because the the instinct of those people asking me that question was genuine, particularly at that time where I think a lot of times 
in the mainstream media, if you heard about the outdoors, it was because there was a disaster on Mount Everest or there was a lost hiker that a search and rescue had been initiated for. And so a lot of times I think when people heard about stuff, they heard about, you know, the, the very rare things about these kind of sports. And I was like, I need to come up with a better answer. So what did you come up with? Well, I was like, it's 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 pretty sweet. Uh, it's fun. That was like my response. But I was like, it's fun, but there's a catch. It's fun 95% of the time. But what happens in that other 5% is what makes spending time moving through natural environments more profound than, say, a roller coaster, right? A roller coaster, it's fun. A lot of people like roller coasters. I do too. But... You don't see people, you know, moving into a van so that they can spend their lives chasing roller coasters. There's no, like, hashtag van life for roller coasters. It's not something—I don't think a large number of people organize their their lives around it just because there's no—I don't feel like there's a lot of tension in it. And I think in the outdoors, it's fun, and then it's not. And those moments that can't be categorized as fun, it can be a lot of things. It can be a close call in the mountains. It can be a feeling of pressing past self-imposed boundaries. It can be that feeling of smallness and humility that pounces on us sometimes, like when we're in big open spaces. The learning that comes with exploration of the world and the people that inhabit it and yourself. Maybe it's a feeling of like getting to belong to a community when that's not a feeling you've known in the past. Or... It could even be that understanding uh, when you thought someone needs to protect this place or take care of it or someone needs to speak up for a community and, and organize and you realize that someone is you. And it's in that 5% that people find purpose and meaning and callings and it makes the fun that we experience most of the time more than just fun. And that's what makes it powerful. And you know, I've always wanted the show to represent that interplay between fun and something more than fun. And I think today we've got a story that, that really captures that. Yeah, absolutely. Today we're going to introduce you to the mayor of El Dorado Canyon, Aubrey Runyon. A lot of our places have someone like Aubrey. It's not a position someone is elected to. It's a moniker that the community bestows on a person for their passion for a place, for the community that inhabits it in the sport that defines those connections. Aubrey's journey to now is a powerful one, filled with a lot of fun, 10,000 pitches worth. But there's also a deep struggle. It's worth noting that this episode talks about childhood homelessness, suicide, cults, and conversion therapy. I'm Ashley Langholtz. I'm Fitzgerald Hall, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Mayor of Eldo name, it came from my friend Sam about five-ish years ago. At that time, I think I'd hit about 6,000 pitches out in Eldorado Canyon. And he said, well, at this point, I'm pretty sure you're the sworn-in mayor. 
And that's where the whole Mayor of Eldo nickname came from. And then it's just apparently stuck because now it's kind of what everyone calls me. This is Aubrey Runyon. She started climbing in Colorado's El Dorado Canyon State Park about 20 years ago. Locals like her simply call the park Eldo. She knows the area like the back of her hand, the climbing routes, the swimming holes, and the best places to nap. Aubrey spent the first part of her life in southern Idaho. She started climbing at age 10. Two years later, a climbing partner and mentor introduced Aubrey to Eldo. Good Lord, the first thing I ever did there was yellow spur, which is a not easy 5'9". And I remember being like, oh, this is a lot. But just immediately like falling in love with the style and the idea of climbing like face routes on gear is super rad. I love that feeling. That's um, kind of what Eldo provides, the ability to get on big faces, but still find ways to protect yourself. And it's unique and it's challenging. It's mentally challenging and physically challenging. And it's just so good. The rock climbing wasn't the only thing in Eldo that left an impression on Aubrey. South Boulder Creek snakes through the bottom of the canyon. It's straight from the mountains, cold and quick. But in a few spots, the creek slows down and creates these pools deep enough to get in. For Aubrey, a dunk in the creek goes hand in hand with climbing an Eldo. So that same mentor once told me to never miss a chance to um, hop in the river. And the whole idea behind that is to like slow yourself down when you're out doing things in nature and force yourself to just enjoy the environment you're in. And for for he and I, it was always getting in, in the rivers at the crags we were climbing at. And I still do it. Essentially, if it's if it's even uh, remotely warm enough, I at very least dip my head in the water every time I go out there. El Dorado Canyon State Park is about 10 miles south of Boulder, Colorado. The park's website touts the canyon's 885 acres of recreation opportunities. Hiking and biking along the sandstone cliffs, fishing and picnicking along Boulder Creek, and of course, over 500 technical rock climbing routes along the canyon's sheer golden walls. El Dorado Canyon's not very deep, maybe a couple miles. But then, of course, it's a canyon, so it, there's these huge walls that come off both sides of the road. The walls go, there go up to about 700 feet at their max, which is up on the Red Garden Wall. Good variety of uh, moderates and really hard things, and it's all fun. It's a mix of, like, Dakota sandstone and this weird, like, granite composite stuff, quartz bands, and it's Beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's his home. Eldo's, Eldo's my home. When Aubrey says Eldo is home, she means it. Most likely in a different way than when someone else says an outdoor place feels like home. So I was raised in a cult in southern Idaho, a, a very restrictive, deeply intense cult. When I was about 13, I was kicked out for being queer. And... My boyfriend at the time and I went into conversion therapy together outside of the cult where he promptly committed suicide um, and took his life. So it kind of left me being completely alone as what's known as an apostate in that religious sect, meaning they'll never talk to you again, essentially. So I'd lost my family, I'd lost my community, I'd lost my partner. So then trying to find something that made me feel like I was at home and try to find anywhere that I could feel comfortable even for a moment. So 
I had remembered El Dorado Canyon. So I, I, I went back into the canyon and spent a few days soloing around, just, just experiencing it, enjoying it, enjoying just, you know, moving on the rock and in the place I already loved. And I had soloed, rewritten that popular route there and had pulled over this lip onto this belay ledge and was just immediately in love with this ledge. It's, God, pro probably uh, 25 feet wide by like 15 feet deep. At the time, it was very, very flat. There was this tree that comes right out of the center of the ledge. And a few days later, <laughs> this is all kinds of messed up. I'm just, this is honest stuff. So went and stole a sleeping bag from a big box store, stole a little backpack, you know, filled it full of all the necessities and went up there and lived on that ledge for the next eight months. And climbers would come through and leave food on the ledge for me in this little alcove in the back of the ledge. And uh, there's a tree on the ledge, like, like I mentioned, that I called my house plant. And then um, there was this little a triangular block of sandstone that I would draw eyes and teeth on, and it looked like an alligator. So I had my house plant and my pet, and then my home. And that's where the whole Aldo being my home came from. It truly is, in a lot of ways, my home. It's, it's somewhere. Like I, I know, you know, a lot, a lot of people will say, like, "Oh, it's like a second home to me." Like, no, that is my home. That's somewhere that it's one of the few places on earth I feel comfortable. I feel welcome. I feel like I'm, I'm in my element, and this is my place to be. Like losing that community and losing that partner and losing everything I, I knew in life was crushing. So to be able to find a spot where I could feel that comfort and feel like I wasn't so alone was really special. And it's still something that means so much to me even 20 years later. Nearly every night from April to October, Aubrey climbed four pitches to the ledge on Rewritten and slept 400 feet off the canyon floor. She's quick to say that what she did was illegal. The park is clear about closing at sunset and that camping is not allowed. Still, she didn't know where else to go. That summer, she baked on hot days and found respite in the creek. She watched in awe as thunderstorms rolled through the canyon during monsoon season. That fall, she shivered through cold nights and woke up to early season snowfall. Her diet often consisted of crackers and butter or an unexpected treat from a canyon climber. People in the canyon start to get to know me and would give me, you know, hot chocolate to take up to the ledge with me that night or... I was really taken care of in little small ways that meant a lot and still mean a lot to me now. I still try to keep in contact with a lot of those people that were so gracious during that time of my life. And yeah, it's been, inter it's been an interesting experience. So it's like now being on this side of it, looking back and going, what the fuck was that? Like, How did this happen? How did I end up in this mess? Why was being queer? Like, why did being queer take my chance of life away and like and like why was it such a big deal to uh, uh, such a, a big deal to them that they would have rather let me die than let me be a part of my family still it's like looking back it's a beautiful thing but it wasn't a beautiful thing. It was something that was very, very complicated and very, very shitty. 
but also beautiful. Because you realize, like, that survival instinct and, like, like looking back 20 years now, that was, you know, 20 years ago, and saying, I made it through some of the worst shit humanity can offer and throw at you. And here we are in this, like, beautiful place now where now I get to go into my canyon and just enjoy it. And I'm just there to, to recreate and show others this place that means so much to me. It's a really beautiful thing. But the beauty doesn't take, take away how bad that time sucked. That year, Aubrey didn't climb much for fun or recreation, the way many of us climb. She says she was too busy surviving. By the time fall arrived, she was exhausted and cold. In October, she was ready to get out and hitched a ride to Vegas. It, it was pretty e- easy to want to leave the canyon at that time for me. Um, and I'd, I'd actually kind of hoped I'd never go back because I was just over it, just angry about the whole situation and what had taken me there. And I had really closed down the whole part of my life previous to Eldo and Eldo. So I ended up getting back to Vegas and living on the streets there for a while and then making some friends and being, and being able to couch surf for a little while and save some money that way and actually be a, a little more human. Over time, she re-engaged with school and started climbing again for fun in Red Rocks and around Mount Charleston. But Vegas wasn't exactly a lifestyle fit for Aubrey. In 2011, she got a new job and moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Climbing continued to be her passion, and she spent many days at local crags in Arizona and New Mexico. After many years away, she even made it back to Colorado to climb. But climbing in Eldo? That was a different story. At the beginning, I was actually avoiding Eldo. Even though it's a place I loved, I was actually avoiding going back there for a while. I would go up and climb in Estes and climb in Boulder Canyon and climb in Clear Creek and climb wherever, but I was avoiding Eldo because of what it meant to me. But like like 2013, a friend was just like, hey, you've been to Eldo? I was like, yes, I have. And they obviously didn't know my story because I, I did not talk about this, but they're like, well, there's this route I want to do. I'm like, I've done that route. It's been a long time, but I'd go do it with you if you wanted to. And I knew that it meant such... It meant such horrible things to me that I'm like, all right, if I can just get back into it, maybe it'll start having some positive memories as well. I immediately refell in love with it, which was the weird thing. I'm like, I immediately like was able to override all that negativity and f- immediately feel at home and be like, oh, this is the same place I fell in love with back then but now I'm in a healthier place and can enjoy it better. With the renewed love of the canyon and the creek that runs through it, Aubrey moved to Colorado's Front Range in 2016. To say she was eager to spend time in Eldo and climb would be a massive understatement. I think in 2017, I had 320 days in the park. And that was just like after work every day. After a decade away, Aubrey reflected on how she wasn't the same person she was all those years earlier. She had a new and different lens on Eldo, her past, and her future. She was climbing in Eldo because she wanted to, not because it allowed her a place to sleep at night. She was finding her footing. She was also gaining a new perspective in her life and identities beyond being a climber. 
She knew she was transgender, but wasn't sure if she'd ever transition, and if so, when. It was a difficult question to consider. She often soloed in Eldo and spent time contemplating what transitioning would mean. Occasionally, she'd climb with people who knew her best, and they'd talk about pros and cons. After 25 years of questioning, weighing consequences, contemplation, and conversations with many people, Aubrey made the decision to start transitioning in 2019 and came out publicly as trans in 2020. It wasn't long before she noticed differences in how people treated her. Well, it was like a really weird thing post-transition that I had never had folks like like beta spray me or anything because um, I was always uh, known as the Eldo person. So I started transitioning and all of a sudden I had these typically cis men throwing beta at me all the time when I had done these routes before they had even started climbing. And it just makes me, it makes me laugh. Throughout this time, Aubrey had kept meticulous records of every single pit she's climbed, not only in Eldo, but everywhere. Her records go back to her first years of climbing. Every route, every pitch, every climbing partner. She kept records of the weather and other details she found interesting. It was her way of journaling. In Eldo alone, she documented over 500 roped pitches before she moved to Colorado in 2016. By the time she started transitioning in 2019, she had thousands. She shared details of her climbs in Eldo on Mountain Project. This likely contributed to the name Mayor of Eldo. Of course, Aubrey had rules about which pitches would or would not count. So it had to be a roped pitch. A pitch was anything that the guidebook said was a pitch. I often disagreed with that. Because, like, you know, this is a 40-foot pitch, but whatever. That's what the guidebook says. I'm, I'm going to count it. Uh, that's how. That, those are my rules. With just whatever the guidebook says goes and no soloing. While Aubrey has soloed an Eldo, she keeps track of roped pitches separately. It's not lost on me that there's something meaningful about climbing with a partner, especially for someone who spent a lot of time feeling alone. In 2021, Aubrey made the decision to return to Southern Idaho for the first time since she was kicked out of her family and community as a child. She wanted to reconnect with who she was back then. She wanted to climb in City of Rocks and sort of reclaim where she learned to climb. She wanted to go back to a place that had so many negative and traumatic memories and rewrite positive ones. But three days before she and her friend were scheduled to leave, Aubrey was climbing an Eldo when the team above her experienced a fatal accident when an anchor failed. Aubrey, who has EMT training and experience with search and rescue, helped with the rescue of the surviving climber and the body recovery of the deceased. Then having to make that decision of like, I can't deal with my past trauma when I just have this new trauma staring me in the eyes, so I need to step back. Aubrey needed a break both emotionally and physically. The death of one climber and helping with the survival effort of another took a massive toll. She was injured during the recovery process and needed surgery to repair muscles in her abdominal wall, a surgery that would take four months to heal. And I couldn't do anything. I was just laying on a couch, just dwelling on it, uh, which was pretty horrific, honestly. Over the months that followed, Aubrey had many ups and downs, but continued to feel the loving support from the climbing community. She received a grant from the American Alpine Club's Climbing Grief Fund to work with a therapist. Though there were many hard days, Aubrey started to gain back energy and began climbing again. By the spring of 2022, 
She started adding routes to her journal and was even ready to think about a trip to Idaho again. Now, Aubrey's endless efforts to document each and every pitch she climbs was never a project or goal. It was just something she did. But when she hit a big milestone, it sparked an idea. I realized I'd hit 9,000 roped pitches. And I was like, all right, if I want to do this, if if I want to go back and actually see this, I want to do it on a win. I want to go back with something like pushing me like that's positive that that I can like that I can like think about and dwell on and I dove in head first and starting in about July um, I just started climbing a lot and I was like all right I want to go in October so can I do a thousand pitches in a couple months you heard that right 1,000 pitches in about three months before making the trek back to Idaho Aubrey's goal takes shape after the break. Stay with us. Support for the diaries comes from Ketone IQ. As I've been getting more and more into longer runs and bike rides, I found myself fighting with my mind. As the miles extend, I feel like my reactions get slower and I make more mistakes, like tripping or falling or just kind of feeling slightly out of sync descending on the bike. On those big days, I've been using Ketone IQ to help my brain keep fueled and sharp. I want to have fun, not bonk. Here's the science. Ketones already exist in your body. When you push up against your boundaries, your body begins to convert stored fat into ketones, which your brain prefers consuming. With Ketone IQ, I feed my brain so my muscles can use the glucose I get from whatever else I eat on the trail. Riders of the Tour de France have been taking the same approach. I am definitely not as fast, but I can apply the same thinking. Give it a try. You save 30% off your first subscription order at ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. Once again, that's ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. The link is in the show notes. Please check it out. Support comes from Kuat Racks, the Piston SR is a single rail bike rack that easily mounts on most roof racks, overlanding utility racks, and truck bed rack systems. The dual ratcheting piston arm grabs your tires and makes no contact with the bike frame. So that's better for your bike, right? Plus the rack has an all metal construction, genuine Kashima coat, and integrated cable locks. That translates to being super burly. Kuat has taken their Piston Pro X and elevated it. Find more details at kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this rack. I can do 10,000. And at that point, we'd started planning out the Idaho trip, and I was like, okay, like, not only can I do it, I should do it. I did the math. Aubrey's goal to do 1,000 pitches in 90 days meant she'd have to climb about 11 pitches every single day for three months. But the reality is that she couldn't get to the canyon every day. So the day she went, she had to climb a lot. Luckily, climbing partners were relatively easy to find. By the summer of 2022, many climbers in Eldo knew about Aubrey's goal. I just kept this little, like, countdown on my Instagram. I was like, all right, I'm I'm at 9,200, I'm at 9,300, I'm at 9,400. And just kind of kept that rolling thing going. And started having friends reach out to me and say, hey, um, I want in on this. Can I go get, you know, get, get some pitches in on Thursday, on Friday, on whatever? I'm like, yeah, let's go. And 
Aubrey often had to be strategic about who she asked to go climbing with. She remembers one time asking a friend to climb 30 pitches in a single day. And they're like, what the hell? Why? And I'm like, well, because I'm trying to get, get this goal done. And it was like, it was a huge push that honestly wasn't even all that fun <laughs> because my feet were blistered and I was kind of exhausted and miserable all the time. But it was just really, it, it was really important for, to me to finish that just for the sake of going to this thing on a win. She kept this pace up week after week. The sore feet, blisters, and lack of sleep were buoyed by good climbing partners, creek dips, and the hope of reaching a big goal. By October, Aubrey had seven days left and 200 pitches to go. She spent most of the week in the park, ticking them off over the following days. I was like, all right, next Thursday is like the best time to do this. And I was at like 9,994 pitches. I'm like, all right, six left. I'm doing my home route then because it's a six-pitch route. You have to do it, right? On the morning of October 13th, 2022, the three climbers drove out to El Dorado Canyon. The air was cool. The canyon was quiet. Went out there and hiked up to the route. Did the first couple pitches. Kind of hung out. Then I went up to my home ledge and I sat there with two pitches left to go to 10,000. And on recommendation of my therapist, I had taken all these little scraps of paper and written down the other names of all of the folks I've lost to climbing. And I've lost 28 friends to the sport. And I sat there and I read the names. I thanked them for what they meant to me, for what they gave to me in the aspect of my climbing career, of my personal life, of my survival as a person. And I thanked them. I talked through this list of 28 names and I mourned them. And then I brought my friends up to the ledge and shared with them my home. And I explained what this ledge meant to me and why it meant so much to me. And why being here on this day is so important. And then climbed the last two pitches, did my 10,000, got to the top and just lost it. Was screaming and overjoyed and I just screamed finally 10,000. And the canyon like interrupted, it just like erupted. Like there were people like, on routes, hundreds of feet across the wall, yelling, hey, congrats on the 10K. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Like, because it like turned into this thing that was bigger than me, even though it, it truly wasn't. It was such a special experience. And then like hiking out of the canyon and I hadn't even posted about it yet that I had done it, but I knew that people like knew I was doing it that morning. And I had people like, like, I mean, like, as we're walking out, people yelling from the walls down at us hiking out, hey, congrats on the 10,000. And then people high-fiving us on the bridge walking across the river. And it was just a really interesting experience that it, it, it felt so shared by, by my community and not just such a personal thing, even though it was just a personal thing. Like, I don't think the goal meant anything to anyone, but it was just someone achieving what they were set out to achieve meant a lot. And that was really cool. And it was a really cool experience to be able to get that done. 
Aubrey knelt down and dipped her head in the river, just like she had most days after climbing in the canyon. She had a ritual of going to a brewery in South Boulder post-climbing, and this day would be no different, except she'd be surrounded by more friends. And that was really cool. And being able to just sit there and enjoy it with these people. And, and, and then it's funny, I had to bounce out of there because I had therapy to go to. So I had to go, go get that knocked out real quick. But then I was running a queer event in Golden that afternoon. And that night at that queer event is where I met my now uh, fiance. So it's just so weird, like how that day has impacted my life in so many ways. My, my partner had no idea what I was doing that day or had no idea what any of this meant to me. But just that day of all days we happened to meet and now here we are and it's, life's weird. <laughs> Aubrey's trip to Idaho didn't go as planned. She was in a car accident along the way and had to leave her car in Salt Lake. She got a ride to Idaho with a friend. She was sort of at the whim of her friend's schedule and didn't get to climb at City of Rocks. She did drive by places of her past, including the commune where she saw people she once knew beyond the fence. The trip came with mixed emotions, difficult, complicated, healthy, and important. She left feeling she'd started the journey towards reconnecting with her past. As for Eldo, Aubrey now sees the canyon as a place to climb and enjoy, a place where she feels home, but where she goes to have fun. And I think for me, like, that's what Eldo means to me is just like love and like, I've, I have love for that canyon that people, that most people will never understand. And I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's just, it means so much to me and it brings me so much hope and joy and feelings of, once again, if, if I can do this, I can do fucking anything. Over the last two decades, Eldo has provided Aubrey with opportunities to survive and eventually thrive. On those sheer canyon walls and ledges, she's found ways to move through difficult times. And in doing so, she found, or maybe created, the tools and skills that will help her face whatever comes next. I don't mean climbing skills, I mean life skills. In that perseverance piece, in staring down fear and pushing through that rather than backing down. That's what Ella's given me. It's given me a home. And as someone that was homeless, to have a, a place that I know will always be mine means everything to me. And even selling my house and feeling that, that loss of home again, but knowing that I still have my home. I still have this canyon that will always be mine. And it's also a lot of other people's, but it's also mine. It's just something that is so important and means so much. Today, Aubrey lives 33 minutes from the canyon and tries to get out there to climb several times a week. She consciously thinks about the future of Eldo and works on maintaining safety in the park as well as increasing inclusivity. As a steward of the park, Aubrey willfully shares her knowledge with those who ask and helps with trail work so others may enjoy Eldo too. Like I've always said that if I, if I had won the lottery or something... I would, I would just go be a volunteer ranger in Eldo just so I could just spend my days in my canyon sharing knowledge and sharing the, the, the love of this place. 
If there ever was an election for mayor of Eldo, she'd certainly get my vote. I'm still trying to figure out like what I have to do to become queen. Um, we'll, 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 we'll see. Thank you, Aubrey, for sharing your story. Aubrey and her partner, Haley, have plans to elope in Eldo just weeks from now. It's pretty cool. Congratulations, you two. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submissions form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today from Joya, David Katz, Grant Harold, Akin Orbay, Baleen, Pastic, and Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the Artists, Track Club, or Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists on the website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced and written by Ashley Langholz and edited by Andrew Burton. Additional production help from Becca Call. Illustration by Walker Call. Becca Call is our executive producer. I'm Fitz, and you've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.